I love it when it's nuanced and I love it when people come up to me and say things like, I didn't know whether to love them or hate them. I didn't know whether to trust half the things that were coming out of their mouth. I'm like, yes, great. That's exactly what I want. I want you to be conflicted. Hi, I'm Abby, and welcome to Criminal Types, where we dig into the real world cases, research, and obsessions that keep your favorite crime writers up at night. Hi, Criminal Types. I'm your host, Abby, and welcome to this week's episode. Today, I'm speaking with suspense writer Amanda Jayatissa, whose latest thriller, You're Invited, takes readers to a lavish Sri Lankan wedding where a woman's former best friend is about to marry her ex-boyfriend. When the bride goes missing, suspicion falls on our protagonist and all sorts of secrets from her past are unearthed. This book has all kinds of drama, intrigue, and it has what turns out to be the most perfect backdrop for a crime story, a wedding. Yeah, weddings definitely seem like a place where murders could happen. They uh, absolutely someone who's do. got married myself and the wedding was great. There were no murders, but you got so many people in the same place and alcohol's a, flowing and there's old grudges. So I get it. It really is a perfect pressure cooker when you think about it. So many people who would never otherwise have a reason to be in a room together. And yeah, like you're saying, everyone's drinking, maybe drinking a little bit too much. And there's also a lot of stress surrounding a wedding, especially when you think about for the bride, for the groom, for the wedding party. It's kind of a high pressure environment. It's amazing that brides and grooms don't snap more often at weddings. The fact that we've had so few murders at weddings is like, it's a great sign for our society. You know what? That's actually very true, but it sure has inspired some great crime books. Interestingly enough, I feel like the, what I like to call the wedding gone wrong thriller, it's kind of a thing. Okay. What what are some great weddings? Wedding gone wrongs that that you'd recommend. Okay, well, obviously, in addition to Amanda's book, I think probably the one that's made the biggest splash recently is Lucy Foley's The Guest List, which is all about this kind of high society wedding on this little island off the coast of Ireland. And it's again just what we're talking about. You know, all these people find themselves literally cut off from the rest of the world on this island. And then, of course, there are all sorts of tensions and resentments and secrets that start to bubble up within the wedding party. So that's a really great one. Um, another one that I feel like is a little bit of a hidden gem recommendation is a book called It Could Be Anyone by Jamie Lynn Hendricks. It's, again, kind of a similar concept, except in that book, it's actually the groom who dies at the beginning of the book. And then you're following the points of view of different members of the wedding party. And the cool thing about that book, as the title says... It could be anyone. Any one of these people has a motive to be a potential murderer. So you're kind of piecing together, you know, they might all have a motive to hate the groom, but who actually did it? It's a lot of fun. Abby, have you ever been either preparing for a wedding or at a wedding where you started to think, you know, this is feeling suspiciously a little too close to one of these suspense thrillers I love? You know, I'm happy to say that um, actually I've only been been, let's see, I've been a bridesmaid once. Happy to say everyone made it out of that unscathed, although there was some fallout for some friendships within that wedding. Everyone made it out alive. Happy to report. But um, yeah, it wasn't without its tension. So I can actually see where some of these books get their, get their inspiration from. But, you know, I'm going to have to keep that in mind whenever I'm at a wedding in the future. Happily enough, I don't think that was that was in my head when I was performing my duties as a bridesmaid. But, you know, maybe in the future it will be. <laughs> oh, I, I predict it will be. You... It basically has to be. All these books are getting me prepared, I think. <laughs> so uh, 
Yeah. So what else did you and Amanda talk about for today's interview? Yeah. Amanda and I also talked a lot about, of course, friendships. You know, friendship is at the heart of this story and even more so the idea of a friendship breakup, which was really interesting to me because I think, you know, as women, friendships are so important to us. I'm sure they are for men as well. But my experience as a woman, friendships are essential, you know, to our well-being. And obviously we talk about romantic breakups. You know, we have a lot of language to discuss when that happens, the pain, the loss for that kind of that kind of a split. But we don't talk about friendship breakups as much, but they can be just as impactful in someone's life, if not more so sometimes, I think. And so Amanda and I really delve into that, which I really loved. We also talk about influencer culture and social media, which is particularly interesting to me as someone who has spent, you know, a decent part of the last eight years growing a community online and kind of experiencing what that is. And obviously, I'm only engaging with social media through the lens of my book Instagram account. So it's a very different thing than being, you know, a lifestyle influencer or someone who's sharing every detail of my personal life on social media. But nevertheless, I think, you know, it still is it still is kind of an ecosystem that I'm existing within to a certain degree. And so I really enjoyed talking with Amanda about social media, about how, you know, social media influenced her thriller writing um, and just about influencer culture as well. Wow. A dark side to social media. I can't believe it. I, I, who, who would have ever predicted that social media could have a dark side to it? But, you know, it factors into Amanda's book. Obviously, it's something that I think you really can't escape it these days. Social media is so it's so pervasive. And obviously, there is so much good that can come of social media, but it does have a bit of a dark side as well. And I really enjoyed discussing that with Amanda. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today because you know how much I love your work. Like instantly when I first read My Sweet Girl, your debut thriller, I was like, this woman is amazing and I need to meet her in real life because I will love her. (laughs) And turns out that's true. We met at Thriller Fest um, this past summer, which was so fun to get to see you in real life. And I'm so excited to talk with you today. And I thought maybe just to kind of kick off our conversation, maybe we could go all the way back before you were a crime writer, before that thought had ever crossed your mind. Could you tell us a little bit about what your introduction was to the whole world of mystery and suspense? Wow. I think the the very first, the very first book that I picked up that had a mystery element to it um, was an Enid Blyton book. Enid Blyton was huge in Sri Lanka. Um, we, I mean, this was obviously pre-internet era. Um, We didn't have a lot of access um, to, you know, what the new titles were and what was, you know, trending at the time or anything. But everyone in Sri Lanka was really, really obsessed with Enid Blyton and her sort of famous five, Secret Seven. um, I think there was like the Adventurous Four. She just kept having these like groups of children get together and solve mysteries. And I think that's where this idea just got really rooted in me that like stories should have mysteries. Like that should be the the vital part of any book that you are reading. And I was just so obsessed. I, I, I would read every single mystery book that I could get my hands on. I'd read like the whole series. Um, 
I think one of my favorite memories as a kid was um, I had this uncle who lived, um, I think he was living in the Middle East at the time, and he was visiting me, uh, us in Sri Lanka. And he took me to a bookshop and he was like, what's your favorite series? And at the time I was like, I think it was Secret Seven. And he's like, okay, what are the Secret Seven books you don't have? And I was like, oh, I don't have. And I was pointing them out. And he's like, pick them up. We're getting them all. Oh my it was gosh, like, the dream. The dream. Book. Yeah. It, it literally was the dream, um, mind blown. Um, and then from there on, it was like a bit of a graduation to sort of the Nancy Drew kind of yes. books. Like, I, like, I, I think I wanted to be Nancy Drew. Me too. Carry around oh it. my gosh. <laughs> that was like, it's like, who was your role model? Like when you grow up, who do you want to be? Like, I want yeah. to be Nancy Drew. I, I walk the- around with a little notebook. Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel like there's such a pipeline between Nancy Drew and kind of millennial female crime readers and writers, evidently. I love it. She was iconic. She really was. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And then, of course, I liked darker like I did like horror or or what was you know I read a lot of R.L. Stein when I was younger. So like the creepy elements as well was something that I was really um, into watched a lot of horror movies probably way before I should have been allowed to watch horror movies uh and yeah there you there you have it um someone who's you know in their 30s and obsessed with everything that has even a tiniest spark of a mystery I'm like I am on it I love it it's so relatable I mean that is kind of exactly the same sort of path that I had too except for me it was um the boxcar children mysteries I don't know if you ever read those when I was really little those were my Enid Blyton and then I went on to Nancy Drew and then for Mm -hmm. me I think it was like Agatha Christie after Nancy Drew that really kind of got me into this whole world but I totally remember you know sneaking over my my friend I wasn't allowed to watch scary movies at home but I had this best friend growing up whose parents would, you know, leave us unattended to watch TV or whatever. And I remember us watching some, I thought it was so terrifying. It was this movie, um, the Johnny Depp movie, Secret, was it called Secret Window? Do you remember oh, that Oh, right. One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. I, remember I watched watching... it with my husband recently. Really? Like, <laughs> like two or three months ago. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what's so embarrassing? I'm going to admit this to you. So for the longest time, I thought that Secret Window was the same as Rear Window. And that is oh. deeply embarrassing because they are not <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> No, no, no. (laughs) So tell us, okay, so you've told us a little bit about kind of your evolution as a reader. When did the idea first strike you that you wanted to try writing mysteries as well? I think I was nine or 10 years old. Like it's so, no, it's so embarrassing. Um, I... (laughs) I, I think it felt like the next natural step because I had by this time just read so much um, and I was reading all the time. And I think it was a natural progression to be like, hey, I want to try writing. And I I still remember this. Oh, gosh, this is why I say it's so embarrassing. It was written in like a pink pen <laughs> on this pink like notebook. And it was... um a total ripoff of like an Enid Blyton murder mystery about these four cousins. And they were like me and my cousins and how they went to like the the seaside. Like we live in Sri Lanka. We don't have like those going to the seaside in the summer <laughs> scenarios. Like we don't, right? Um, like the beach is very close by. We can go like whenever yeah, we yeah. want. Um, at least if you live like close to the coast, like I do. Um so yeah, it was so random. It was like these four cousins and they go to the seaside and there's like a abandoned like 
castle randomly close by and they decide to like investigate the secrets hidden within the walls of the castle. So terrible. Um, so embarrassing. It did not get finished. Um, thank goodness. Uh, but um, everyone was very supportive. <laughs> I don't think this is embarrassing at all. I think this is adorable. And I have a feeling that like little Abby would have eaten this story up. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing uh, I mean what do you think it is that drew you because I if I'm correct me if I'm wrong but I think that you you know in your adult life as a writer you've kind of explored some other genres as well is that correct and what do you what kind of brought you back to crime fiction to thrillers as you know the thing you want to pursue as a writer now well my the very first book I wrote which was um, sort of, we I self-published it in Sri Lanka a long, long time ago. And that was very much me trying to find my footing, I think, as a writer, kind of figure out uh, sort of where I fit, how to go about this. It was very experimental and I didn't really give much thought to genre in a way that I don't think you do unless you start to seriously pursue traditional publishing, I think. Um, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just going to write what... I want to write and like, let's figure that out later. And um, it was at its core, again, it had a mystery in it because like I said, for me, all stories need to have a mystery. It's just that the setting couldn't work unless there were certain uh, sci-fi, I guess, sort of elements that it needed to be there in order for the mystery to work. So it was sort of this um, backdrop that was... Uh, selected in order to accommodate this story that I was trying to tell. Um, but, and I'm really glad that I wrote that book because it definitely showed me a few things. First, that self-publishing is definitely not the route for me because um, I just, for me, what works is focusing on writing the book and, you know, not really um, getting too involved in everything else. And there's other people who are so, so good at that, those different um, things. And I'm definitely not one of those people. So I just need to focus on writing. So self-publishing was one, not for me. And two, the whole reason that I was coming up with all of this world building and fantasy and sci-fi elements was to accommodate a mystery. And I was like, that is what I should be doing. Um, so while I still, I tend to get drawn, I think, to its th to things with supernatural elements and like ghost stories and folklore. And um, I do like that side of things. But for me, even that needs to have, have something that you're trying to solve. Um, because for me, it's all about the pieces of the puzzle and how they fit. And as, as a reader and as a writer, that's something that that's what excites me. Yeah, absolutely. And you do such a beautiful job of that in both of your books. I mean, you the, the reveals <laughs> you pull you. off at the end, we're of course not going to spoil anything, but you do an incredible job. And, you know, when I think about kind of prepping for this interview and thinking about your books and trying to identify, like, if I had to pick one thing that I love in an Amanda Giatissa thriller, what is that one thing? And it's very hard because I love all the things in an Amanda Giatissa thriller. <laughs> but I think the thing I keep coming back to and that I would love to talk with you about is voice. In both of your thrillers, My Sweet Girl and your new novel, You're Invited, you have these incredibly distinctive protagonists. They leap off the page. They're not, I'm going to say, they're not like, quote unquote, easy characters. You know, these are women with a lot of layers, a lot of complexity to them. And I would love to hear from you, you know, what it's like to inhabit these characters and to spend time with them, to bring them to life. 
Yeah. Um, it's actually very interesting because when you take the two books, I think, and you take the two main characters in the two books, they're, they're very different. And I think they also reflect the times of my life where, where I was at, at least headspace wise, when I was writing the story. So when I wrote uh, Paloma in My Sweet Girl, I was definitely dealing with some unresolved anger there. I think I, I <laughs> there, there was definitely a lot of, or maybe not overt anger. I don't get angry, angry very often, but definitely a lot of frustration that um, was coming out as I wrote her and that I definitely tapped into a lot more. And when I was writing Amaya in You're Invited, I was one very, very nervous because Paloma was a hard character to sort of switch gears from. And um, But also when I was writing You're Invited, it was during that, I think, height of the lockdown where we were in, in Sri Lanka, we were in our second major lockdown at the time. Um, you know, it was maybe about a year into the whole thing and you know, you go from thinking, oh, this is just going to be three weeks. Remember that? There was a time we thought we'd only have That's to right. do this for three weeks. And, um, you know, it's a year later and things were just going um, so badly here at the time. And I was so anxious. Like I was just this anxious wreck. And I was trying to um, write this character. And I, I do this every once in a while when I get stuck is I take out sort of a notebook and I start journaling in the character's voice um, and what came out when I was journaling in Amaya's voice was this very very anxious uh, person I thought okay you know what let's just lean into this yeah um, yeah you know let's let's try and amplify that as much as possible and um, it was a really good way of me dealing with my own anxiety I think is I, I tend to be a very anxious person naturally and um, it was a really good way for me to you know get a handle of on it at the time as well yeah it was it was definitely a lot of fun I, I like writing characters who are not you know, completely good or completely bad, who are a little bit nuanced, because I feel that that's a more accurate reflection of how people are in the world if we are truly honest with ourselves. You Absolutely. Know? So, and I think those characters are the most interesting to read, I think, for that exact reason, you know, and I, I, it, it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine when you hear about people talking about, you know, quote, unlikable characters. And I think they often right. refer to women, female characters in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I find it very frustrating because I'm like, who really wants to read a thriller where everyone is likable or any genre for, for that matter? You know, in the real world, like you're saying, we all have these gray areas and these complexities and no one is totally just likable. And who wants to read about a character like that, too? And I love the way in your books, you really aren't afraid to delve into those messy sides of your characters. Thank you. Thanks. It's a, it's always a lot of fun to do that. And obviously, um, it, it really helps with, with both my agent and my editor, who are very, very good at um, letting me, I guess, push the boundary as much as I can yeah. and then letting me know when I need to like eh, right maybe right. not go so far <laughs> like let's tread that line carefully and no it's it's um it's a very fun process and for me bringing out these character voices it's always the most fun uh part of writing a book so you know one thing that I think 
your characters might have in common. I'd love your thoughts on this because I could be off base, but I think both of your characters have an element of unreliability to them. And there is Mm. such a thing in the world of psychological thrillers, you know, the unreliable narrator, the idea of a protagonist who, whether it's because of, you know, an intentional sneaky motive or their own maybe inability to do so, they're not totally telling the reader the whole truth. And I love that about your characters that I feel like for reasons that we won't disclose, obviously, the reader does get the sense that there might be more to the story with each of these women. What do you think it is that draws, you know, readers back to the unreliable narrator? And what is it for you as the writer that made you interested in crafting that kind of character? So I think it does go back to this conversation that I had many, many years ago. Um, I think it was with one of my mom's friends. And I was complaining to her about something or the other. Um, I think it was like a an argument I was having with one of my groups of friends or something like that. And she turned to me and she said, well, you know, Amanda, there is, you know how they say there are two sides to every story. That's not actually true because there's your side and then there's their side and then there's what actually happened. Um, And that really stuck with me because it really got me thinking about in life and, and especially because I write you know, in in first person. And I I really like to get into the heads of my characters. But in life, you can only really talk about what your experience is, right? As as you go on. So if that experience is justified or not, that's really not what you're thinking about. It's just your experience and your reality that matters to you. And that's how I choose to approach my characters. It's like, what's real to them? What are they going through? Um, It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong or, um, you know, justifiable in the greater sense or if a different character sees them in a different light. That doesn't matter because all that matters is their story and how they choose to go about exploring it. Um, So, yeah, so someone who's like the hero in one story could easily be a villain in someone else's story. And and that's something I like to think about a lot as I write is, you know, how much is the good guy actually the good guy? Because to yourself, you're always the hero. To yourself, you're always justified. It's just everyone else's perception of you that might vary. Um, and I like I love I love it when it's nuanced and I love it when people come up to me and say things like I didn't know whether to love them or hate them. I yes. didn't know whether to trust <laughs> half the things that were coming out of their mouth. I'm like, yes, great. That's exactly what I want. I want you to be conflicted because in like no one in life is perfect. And and you you should be conflicted. You should be conflicted when thinking about um people and how they approach problems. Um especially when the problems involve, you know, dead bodies and things like that. A hundred percent. I love that. Are there any, you know, when you kind of think about your own reading life, are there any um, unreliable narrators that you yourself have found particularly compelling? The very first one that um, I read was The Ghost Next Door by R.L. Stein. Oh my God, I, I love that. I've never read an R.L. Stein book. Never. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to have to change that. Yeah, no, it was his. I was so obsessed with his Goosebump books. Um, I think someone started importing them into Sri Lanka, and you could only get them in this like one bookstore. And me and my best friend would just go and like we'd bug our parents to buy books, and then we'd read them over the weekend, and then we'd go to school on Monday and exchange the books. So we'd read each other's books over the week, and then yeah, it was like this whole process. Um, but yeah, The Ghost Next Door was my very first, I think, 
introduction to this idea of an unreliable narrative. And I was like, hey, I didn't know you could do that. Like, I didn't know that this this was a thing. Um, and, you know, I think then you have that moment when you're, how old was I, like 11 or 12 when you watch The Sixth Sense and you're like, oh, oh, oh that's a plot twist. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think when you, you watch these big plot twist-esque movies or you read these books with these unreliable narratives at that age, I think it kind of like gets embedded as a core memory you're, and you're trying to chase that high <laughs> the rest of your life. Almost. 100%. And Sixth Sense was one of those for me without a doubt. I mean, I wish I could watch that movie for the first time again. It is right? so yeah. brilliant. So brilliant. Yeah. Did you ever read, um, are you an Agatha Christie fan? I have read a little bit of her books, um, obviously because of like the locker room setting, yeah. but I haven't read enough of it, I, yeah. I, of her books, I, I feel. You need um, to read her book. And, uh, I'm not going to say anything about it, but you need to read her book, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, if you haven't read it yet. Because Oh, I haven't read that it one. It is okay. deeply relevant to what we're discussing. If any listeners out there also are kind of looking for something in this vein, I, I can't say hardly anything about it without spoiling it. But it is, I think, just one of the most brilliant examples of kind of what we're talking about, about creating that, you know, that close first person narration where you are so at the mercy of the way this person is presenting themselves and what they're telling you and their version of the truth. It is incredible and it has an amazing, amazing final twist. So highly recommend Murder of Roger Ackroyd if you haven't read that one yet. Right. Awesome. (laughs) And speaking of you know Roger Ackroyd and Sixth Sense and amazing twists, you always nail your endings in your books. I mean, My Sweet Girl has this jaw-dropping finale. You're Invited has an incredible reveal at the end. I would love to hear from you. First and foremost, you know, when you start writing your books, do you know what that big reveal is going to be from the beginning of your writing process? Usually, yes. Yeah. That's the, um, the, the, the simple answer. I, um, I think first roughly about what I want the premise to be. So uh, with You're Invited, for for example, I did know that I wanted it to be set at a Sri Lankan wedding. And I did know that I wanted to talk about um, female friendships, so like female friendship breakups, essentially. And I knew that those were going to be the core themes of the book. But then I sort of sit down and I do a little very rough, very broad strokes outline. Um, and I usually know who the bad guy will be or what the, uh, or like who, who did it, right? Like who's, who's, who's the person. Um, And I do know what the twist would be if there is going to be one where I want it to um, happen and roughly the endings, but the endings of both books, actually, like the, the very ending, like your very final scene uh, were both, um, uh, heavily influenced by fantastic editorial advice um, <laughs> from my from my editor Jen Monroe, who is just so brilliant. Um, and yeah, so both endings did get darker um, because of her advice, uh, which we love. We fully support that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. I love them. I love the way they turned out. Um, so yeah, uh, but but the big plot twists I usually know. That's one of the first things that I I like to have figured out, so that when I'm writing, I'm writing with some sort of direction, and I'm not sort of you know uh, losing that thread that keeps me going. Um, I'm not too tight uh, a plotter. Um, I don't 
like once I did that, I broke everything down scene by scene. And then I never wrote that book because it was too boring for me. Like took some of the magic out of it or something. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it just didn't work. Um, And everything that the characters were doing felt robotic, like they doing it because they had to do it rather than a natural reaction from them. So um, that book just never got written. Uh, But I do like to have a sort of broad strokes outline so I know at least what direction I'm supposed to write in. And what's your thought or what's your perspective, I should say, on the plot twist, because I feel like, because I'm not a writer, but I think from the outside, it can feel to me like there's a lot of pressure these days for psychological thrillers to have that quote unquote jaw dropping twist you never saw coming. Do you feel pressure to pull that off in your stories or do you think it's just something that you kind of naturally gravitate towards? So for you, it's just fun to get to include that kind of element. It is definitely fun and it's definitely fun to brainstorm trying to come up with something, but also kind of keep it realistic and not pull something off that because plot twists have to feel earned in a sense right you can't have you know something completely left of field just show up um my husband and I have this joke where we say like you know aliens can't suddenly show up that's and right. be like where the reason this happened you know that uh, <laughs> things have to make sense so for, and for them to make sense you have to be honest to your character's motives and intentions and also leave enough, hopefully, breadcrumbs that the readers will feel that that kind of plot twist makes sense and isn't cheating. Right, um, the fair so play twist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is definitely becoming harder to do um, just because there are so many amazing books out now and there are so many... Um, there are so many twists that I feel that it it feels like so much has been done within this space. Um, But what I try to focus on is really just telling the character's story as much as I can and as honestly as, as I can. And hopefully that will lend itself to, you know, that, that end or that reveal. You referenced something that I want to talk about um, a little bit more. So in your book, You're Invited, female friendships are really at the heart of this story and not just female friendships, but the idea of the friendship breakup. I had never read any book, let alone, you know, regardless of genre, never read any book that tackled that concept. And it was kind of a little bit of a revelation for me because I'm sure that everyone, you know, every woman out there has been through the friendship breakup. I'm maybe maybe men go through it too. I'm not sure about that, but I I know I've been through it and it is a uniquely difficult experience. It's something that we don't really have like a framework to talk about, but it genuinely is kind of a grieving process when you go through that just as, you know, a romantic relationship breakup would be. So, what drew you to that? <laughs> Unresolved female friendship yeah. breakups of my own. <laughs> no, that's the thing about um friendship breakups is that they hurt just as much, if not as more as romantic, as much as romantic breakups, right? And romantic breakups, it's, it's socially acceptable to mourn them, right? Your girlfriends rally around you, you break out the ice cream, you, you know, watch your romantic comedies, you sit on your couch, you can tell people like, hey, you know, I'm going through a breakup right now and everyone feel will feel genuinely sorry for you and, you know, wish you well and hope you feel better soon. You can't really say 
to a person, oh, I'm sorry, my best friend and I aren't talking to each other anymore. So I need, you know, time off or I need, um, you know, a day or two to recover from this. It's not really socially acceptable. It's not really talked about. We're just expected to, you know, sweep those pieces away and move on with our lives. And that's really sad, right? For myself and for so many women that I speak to, it's like this unresolved thing that's always hovering around. Like, are we friends? No, not really. We're not friends anymore, but why? And, you know, no one really um, does that where like no one calls you up and says, you know, I'm sorry, we're not going to be friends anymore. I don't think this is working out. Like it's not you, it's me. Like this friendship just isn't for me anymore. No one does that. Um, But the friendships sort of, they they tend to either there's like a horrible falling out or even worse it sort of withers away yes. over oh, time that's the worst nothingness yeah and, and sometimes you're like oh okay like she's my friend but we haven't actually spoken in in two years and it sucks right it does it's, it's painful it, and lonely yeah 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 it's it's really hard and I think more and more in the world now where we're where we tend to form these little pockets of community and family within friendships, um, you know, when those friendships end, it can be very, very painful. Um, And yeah, for me as well, it was a little bit of an outlet of, you know, coming to terms that these things happen and we should talk about them because they're very valid. Um, And yeah, (laughs) it was just an interesting thing to explore. Yeah, And it was an amazing thing to read about. Like I said, it felt a little bit like a revelation because I've been through that and it was, I was so, it was relatable, you know? And I think that that relatability is something that I know for myself as a reader, like I'm, you know, say I'm wandering through a bookstore and I'm trying to pick out a new book. I'm always going to choose books that have more of that relatable factor rather than maybe an, you know, high stakes action thriller. That's just not my personal preference. And I think that, you know, your books aren't, I wouldn't call them domestic suspense exactly, but they definitely have that element of exploring family dynamics, you know, relationships, friendships. And I was curious, like, what what draws you to that subject matter? You know, why is it important to you? Is it because of the relatability factor? A little bit. Um, I think I've always been a person that looks at another person and wonders why they are the way they are. Like I I tend to think very micro in that sense. Um, And it's just something that I I catch myself doing all the time. It's like, I wonder what, you know, this behavior is so wild sometimes. It's like, why are they behave? Why are they doing what they're doing? And I wonder what led up to these situations, right? So um, it's it's really funny. My husband's always laughing at me because I tend to watch a lot of, you know, even like reality TV and things like that. And, and he's like, why are you watching it? I'm like, because it's so interesting watching people react. And of course, like the thriller writer in me is going, always going like, hmm, I wonder like, you know, um, th- there was that, that show recently that came out, uh, David Tennant was in it. Inside Man. Inside yes, Man. There yep, we go. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a show. And um, and in it, they say, like, anyone can be a murderer. It's just you need to have the right. So if the circumstances are right, anybody can become a murderer. Um, 
And I really, really agree with that statement, uh, which is such a horrible <laughs> thing to say. I love um, that. <laughs> because I mean, like if you watch the show, I think you'd feel it, you'd agree with it too, because it's usually just this unique set of circumstances. And, and as writers, that's what we try to kind of create, right? We try to create this unique set of circumstances that could potentially push the average person, not, you know, a person who's like a serial killer or, a, um, you, you know, somebody who's like a professional like a killer trained or, assassin assassin like, or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's different. Like for me, it's, it's looking at your day-to-day, your ordinary, and trying to find those little dark shadows that are always there, but it's sort of who lets them, who lets these shadows come out, you know, into the center of their story um, and take control of this situation. Uh, so that's always really interesting for me, which makes me sound a little disturbed. <laughs> if you're disturbed, then I'm disturbed because that's exactly the kind of book that I love to read. And that's what I love, you know, in your stories, especially thinking about your newest book, You're Invited, you create kind of this pressure cooker environment. And it's all set against this gorgeous backdrop of this very lavish, over-the-top, incredible wedding. But you create this pressure cooker that does push people who, from the outside, they seem to have it all. You know, they seem to have everything going for them. And you push them to the point where, it's no spoiler to say something's going to happen to one of them before at the end of the book. And, you know, I I really would love to talk a little bit about kind of the backdrop to You're Invited because I think it is so unique and you really allow kind of Sri Lankan high society to become sort of its own character in this story. And I would love if you maybe first, you know, you could just sort of set the scene for for folks who might not have read the book yet. You know, what is what is going on? What is the backdrop to this story? <laughs> sure. So, uh, so Amaya lives in California and she finds out that her ex-best friend, whom she hasn't spoken to in five years, is marrying her ex-boyfriend. So obviously she's feeling all the feelings. Um, these feelings escalate when she is um, invited to the wedding and she flies back to Sri Lanka with one thought in her mind, this wedding cannot happen. Um, the wedding festivities are over the top. Um, like you said, Abby, you know, things are very lavish, um, very grand. And um, the bride winds up missing, presumed dead. And of course, all fingers point to um, Amaya. And yeah, uh, she needs to prove that she's innocent before <laughs> It's it's too late and she's arrested for the murder of her ex-best friend. I had a blast writing this book because it is so much fun to write about Colombo's <laughs> society, uh, especially because so, so I grew up, um, I went to a very good international school, but I was definitely not a part of Columbus Seven Society, though I was given sort of this front row seat to a lot of what was going on. Um, and I had so much fun writing the rumors um, and, you know, like the, the chit chat that the aunties would have. Uh, because a lot of the rumors are actually based on real life rumors that I've heard. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I had a really fun uh, few afternoons where I called up. Um, you know, we all have those like friends or cousins who are a little bit more attuned to the, you know, 
town gossip <laughs> than you are. And I was like, hey, tell me, tell me some juicy stories. And uh, they did not disappoint. Um, so definitely a few of those stories came from real life uh, events and, and things that I'd heard over the years and stuff like that. Um yeah, and it was it was very fun um, to write about from that sort of comical angle because Colombo society, especially certain parts of Colombo, it is so much a bubble of its own. Um, you know, it's it's like a different world for them. It's a different life. Um, you know, you walk around Colombo sometimes. It's it's. Uh, quite disarming. You could be walking down a street, you know, full of these beautiful mansions and you can turn a corner and suddenly it'll be the exact opposite. You'd see, you know, um, these people living in absolute poverty. Uh, and that contrast is just wild. And a lot of Columbus 7 operate like that other world outside their bubble does not exist. Um, so a little part of me had fun kind of like poking the bear. Bit with the yeah. Um, and just also kind of talking a little bit about class dynamics and, and how, you know, when you're at the top, you kind of have to fight to stay on the top and, you know, everything is not how it seems, which is often the case in these picture perfect families, um, you know, and uh, uh, one of the scenes that really influenced Kavi's character. So Kavi's the best friend, the ex-best friend and the bride. Um, and she's an influencer. And, you know, on Instagram, on social media, her life just seems absolutely perfect. Uh, I'm actually not going to go too much into that because I feel like it might be end up being a spoiler. But um, it was just sort of that dynamic and how she keeps up appearances that um, I, I've always found to be really, really interesting. Well, and it's such a theme throughout the book, this idea of kind of the the facade that someone's presenting and then what's actually going on behind the scenes. You know, like you're saying, whether that's kind of the high society crowd themselves or whether that's Kavi and her Instagram. Um, obviously, Amaya has a bunch of her own secrets that she's hiding that will be revealed before the end of the book. And I, I really loved the way you kind of contrast, yeah, that, that perfect exterior with what's actually going on inside. And I think that social media and the way it factors into contemporary suspense is so interesting to me because obviously, you know, I'm someone who I've benefited hugely from social media. I have built a wonderful community online that I'm so genuinely grateful for. And at the same time, you can absolutely see the way that social media is a little bit sinister and it does let people be like we're talking about unreliable narrators. You know, social media allows us to kind of curate and present just what we want to present to the outside world. And I loved the way that factored into this story. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely a fun fun theme to explore. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about kind of the the high society influence on your work and in, in your invited. I would be remiss if I did not bring up um, My Sweet Girl and the influence of some kind of folklore elements in your writings. I know you've mentioned <laughs> that's something that you personally love. It's something that you know I love. And there is an amazing thread in My Sweet Girl that has kind of a gothic vibe to it. Maybe you should set the scene um, and explain a little bit about sort of the gothic spooky elements to your debut thriller. Oh, I, get my, I think this was probably my favorite part of my sweet girl of writing my sweet girl it was bringing in the folklore of this the sri lankan urban legend called mohini um 
She is our resident woman in white. I think every culture, every society sort of has one of these stories of a woman dressed in white, you know, um, scaring travelers or or single men um, at in, in the night. And you know, it, it is your typical woman in white story. Um, but I had so much fun bringing her in because if you live in Sri Lanka, you would be hard pressed to find somebody who's not either seen or they know somebody who's seen Mohini. It's like such a household name. Um, it was the stories that I grew up telling uh, my friends and my cousins. As a child, um, I dressed up as Mohini once when I was a kid. I think I That's wore like my amazing. mom's white dress. I had long black hair that I like pulled over my face and I like ran around scaring my cousins. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was very special to me um, to try to in, include her in the book. Um, the, the scenes that took place in an orphanage in Sri Lanka um, amongst girls who are 12 years old, um, Mohini plays a pivotal part in, in their story as well because they you know, start off with um, telling her story to each other to scare each other in the night. Um, and then it escalates a little bit more because the girls start to believe then that Mohini is haunting this orphanage and one of them tries to, you know, track her down and find out more about her and um, which, you know, leads us to finding out um, things that are sometimes a little bit more horrific than ghost stories um, themselves. But uh, yeah, I, I really loved being able to include her. It felt very much, it was very special to me to include something that was such a big part of my own childhood. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I loved it. And I, I of course, had never heard this story before, but you know what a sucker I am for any and all kind of spooky ghost stories. So I absolutely loved it. And it did lead me to wonder, I mean, in your adult life now, I mean, when, you know, I know when I want to be spooked out, like I'm going to read a thriller like My Sweet Girl. I'm going to read a book like this to be to get my spooky scares. Um what do you do when you want to be scared? Are you like a horror movie fan? Are you turning to other spooky supernatural suspense novels? Like where do you go when you need your scary fix? I watch a lot of horror movies. I haven't watched too many recently, I feel. What are I, your fa- you know I'm going to watch- have to ask you about this now because you know what a big horror movie fan I am. What are your like <laughs> desert island if you had to pick, I don't know, two or three horror movies, which would you pick? All the all the Mike Flanagan ones. Oh, that, it's just <laughs> great it, choice. You know, it was, it's so funny because I have, um, I mean, there are a few, obviously over time that I have, um, you know, as my like top five or whatever. And, um, and one of them, interestingly was Oculus. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. Seen it was it. a, it was a Mike Flanagan movie from like a long time ago before I knew about like the how um the the haunting of hill house and blind manor and midnight mass which is like my personal oh my gosh favorite incredible incredible <laughs> right um so yeah um but oculus was just um it, it it had to do with a mirror and afterwards my husband refused to let me buy a secondhand mirror Stop for it. our house because it had to do with like this antique mirror that um, the dad like brings in and how it changes the house. Yeah. Um, but it was really, really creepy. Um, yeah, it's it's very annoying in, in Sri Lanka because we don't get too many horror movies playing in the cinema. Um, 
And I feel like you really get that experience um, really when do. you watch it in, in the cinema. I was gonna say, even Mike Flanagan, like, you know, I mean, I watched, you know, Midnight Mass. That was that was like Netflix. Right. And I mean, his storytelling, I feel like just it doesn't matter if you're watching it on a tiny like laptop screen. His storytelling right. <laughs> is so visceral and so atmospheric. I feel like it translates so well, even on like the tiniest of screens. <laughs> Yeah. He he is amazing. And I'm going to go watch Oculus. That's going to be on my um weekend to watch list now because I've never even heard of it. There were like two scenes that still, you know, like when you think back and you get that like the, the, the CBGB, yeah. it's like, yep. you, you know, where you're like, yeah, we have now when you think of it. Yeah. But I think those are like the best scary movies when they have that kind of snapshot moment that you just can't get out of your head, you know? Like for me, you know, I'm I'm a huge Halloween fan and I think the 2018 Halloween was incredible. And there's that moment when like Michael is pulling the mask back on, you know, that like snapshot moment that just sticks in your brain. And you do an amazing job of that in your thrillers. Like I have to say, there's a moment at the end of My Sweet Girl where I can't say what it is, obviously, but there is a moment at the end of that book that I just like, it is imprinted in my brain. And I feel like maybe your love of horror movies has translated a little bit because you nail that sort of those visual cues that really stick with the reader. So maybe your love of horror movies has kind of made that possible. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thanks. Um, I always, I say it's, it's the hangover feeling. Like after you watch a movie or you read a book, if you can't stop thinking about it and it it stays with you. And sometimes, you know, like at the at first watch, it might not even be something that you, you think about too much. And, but it's like, in the days, uh, the days after when you're revisiting it and you're, you keep going back to it, it's, and you can't get those things out of, out of your head. For me, that's what really constitutes as something like those stories that stay with you, you know, those, that's something that, that I try to aspire to. Um, For me, when I'm writing, I'm like, okay, if, if this story can make someone feel the way I felt when, you know, I watched Sixth Sense for the first time. Right, oh, wow. Right. <laughs> what kind of benchmark is that, right? <laughs> hey, you have to aim high. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, boom. Um, but, you know, like those, those things that I couldn't stop thinking about, like that's what I want people to feel, hopefully. Or at least that's that's me chasing the dream when I write. Yeah, I, I love that. And I know we are, we're almost out of time here, Um, but I would love to ask you for kind of one of my last questions here and it might be premature. So if you can't tell us anything, no problem at all. But I have to ask, is there anything you can tell us about what you're working on next? Um, It hasn't been announced no, yet. Totally so while, fine. I'm, <laughs> while I'm dying to talk about it and like, I, I really am dying because it is a uh, I can say that it's a slightly different direction okay. in terms of setting, mm-hmm. um, but it does. It, it is still seeped with a lot of Sri Lankan folklore and Ooh, maybe a, more than um, even what I've written about previously. So a lot of Sri Lankan folklore and mythology, and there's still obviously suspenseful, um, you know, like mis- there's a mystery element that our protagonist is trying to solve. Uh, but I can't say much more than that. Hey, okay, you've already sold me Sri Lankan folklore mythology. I'm already fully sold. I cannot wait to read it. And for my very last little bit here, before we say goodbye, are you up for a quick little lightning round? A few questions? Oh, I'm so bad at lightning rounds. Oh, okay, no, let's do this. You can do it. I have confidence in you. I have confidence in you. All right, you ready? <laughs> mm-hmm. What is one thriller that you think should be on everyone's to read pile? Oh, 
The Last Housewife by Ashley Winstead, especially if you're a woman. Great recommendation. And, and then also if you're a man. And if you're a man. Everyone Anyone and yeah. everyone should read that book. <laughs> coffee or tea while writing? Oh, coffee, black like my soul, no sugar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are my favorite. Um, writing in the morning or writing at night? Morning with a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. Do you believe that ghosts are real? Yes, because I'm Sri Lankan and, you know, everyone I know has seen Mohini except me. (laughs) Hey, never say never. It's not too late. (laughs) Which of your books would you recommend that readers start with? My Sweet Girl, I think. I think that is the most... Well, it, it does combine these Sri Lankan elements along with sort of life in the U.S. And yeah, I think it's it's generally a good starting point, maybe. Agreed. And last but not least, what are you reading right now? I just finished this amazing um, advanced reader copy. That's the, one of the best things about being a writer is that you get to read advanced reader copies. Um, it's called How I'll Kill You by Randy Stefano. And it is just this fantastic um, story about, without giving too much away, it's about these three sisters and how they are essentially serial killers, but one of them falls in love with the next Mark. And it was just, it's mind-blowingly good. Um, And I can't wait for the rest of the world to read it. I have officially added that to my to-read list as well. So it's called How I'll Kill You and it's out next year. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Amazing. I can't wait to read it. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for your time today. This was so much fun. I always love chatting with you, and I'm so looking forward to reading your next book whenever it is available. Oh, thank you, Abby. I had a blast. Um, it was so much fun catching up. Thank you for the opportunity. It was so much fun talking with Amanda today and discussing everything from friendships and friendship breakups to social media stalking, influencer culture, and much more. Speaking of social media, you can nicely stalk Amanda herself on Instagram at Amanda Jayatissa. Her latest psychological thriller, You're Invited, is available now wherever books are sold. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review or rating on your preferred podcast platform. Feel free to send me any questions, book recommendation requests, or comments at criminaltypes at prh.com. This show is edited by Clayton Gumbert. Music in this episode from the songs Empty Orchestra, No Reason, and Xenarthrin, written and performed by Shearwater, courtesy of Sub Pop. Criminal Types is a production of the Knopf Doubleday Publishing Group and Penguin Random House Media. Thanks for listening. 